From their padded cell in Howard, Pennsylvania, this is The Spiel, Episode 8, Who Done It? Hi there, I am Stephen Conway. I'm David Colson, and our friend... Mark Weaver. We're all here uh, visiting our friend Mark in Pennsylvania, and we have another exciting episode of The Spiel lined up for you this week. Uh, welcome, Mark. You are the first special guest star on The Spiel. <laughs> oh, I'm very honored. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're ready to talk about some games for a little while and see how, how just how crazy we are. It was fun. It was awesome having somebody else to beat. Yeah. Uh, it was a good experience all around, yes. <laughs> well, I think without further ado, we should just jump right in and see see where this episode takes us. What do you guys think? Cool. All right. Game news and notes. So, Dave, uh, what's, what's on your agenda this week for uh, news and notes? I think I have an awesome pick this week. This is a game that is one of our absolute favorites. It's been out of print for a while, and cool. somebody has finally put it back into print. Uh, the game is Winter Circle. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, most of you, if you're familiar with this game, will know it as Royal Turf, Woo. which is an awesome game. Royal Turf was um, published by Aaliyah and Rio Grande Games in 2001. I think it was probably <clears throat> out for three, four years. It was never in English. Right. So if anybody has it, you have the German version with the translations. The uh, Winter Circle is, was published in 2006 by Face to Face Games, and it I think it's a uh, multi. It's published in several languages. Right. Yeah. Um, ages 10 and up. Um, just give you a quick rundown. I think the list price on this puppy is 35 bucks, but you can find it online at either uh, Fun Again or Thought Hammer for being between 23 and 28 bucks. Um, just give you an idea of the price of it. This game is a horse a horse racing game that is so simplistic you can probably teach it to somebody in three minutes but once you start playing you just end up playing the whole night yeah definitely you know, there's what is there like five six horses mm-hmm. you know it, nobody you're just basically basing um betting on which horses you think are going to come in first second and third it's a simple dice mechanic yeah unlike other racing games you're not like this is my, my horse, horse and i'm right. trying to get my horse across the line you're actually just trying to bet on which horse you think is going to win Exactly. Um, which makes the, the mechanics or the playing of the game, I think, a lot different right. than and just a plain old race game. On your turn, you're basically just rolling a dice and choosing which horse is going to get to move You know, for this particular turn. every If there's seven horses, once one of them moves, or once one moves, it can't move again until all the other six have, have made a move. So, you know... When it comes around you, you may not have a choice of all seven horses. Right. It may be like, oh, well, there's only these two guys that haven't moved. I don't want either of them to move, but I have <laughs> to move one of them. So that's where the craziness sets mm-hmm. in. Mark, I know you've played it before, and what did you think of Royal Turf uh, when you played it? Well, as usual, it was late at night, <laughs> and many years ago. I remember enjoying it, but that's about all I can say. <laughs> hey, that's that's a good enough endorsement for me. I it's in a, it, to me, it falls in that new classic category well, of I'm actually absolutely. shocked that, 
that it took this long for it to come out with an, an English version because it is that good right. and been so popular. Right. Everybody, I never, online, everywhere, I always see people, <clears throat> you must get this game, you must get this game, and it's been impossible to get. So I'm excited that um, the other cool thing is that uh, face-to-face, it's in their series of games called the Rainer Kinesia Signature Games. <laughs> um, I think it's only the second one because they did... Rhinelander, is that yes, correct? Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, I so I think those are the only two so far. I'm not sure what they have coming up future in the future, but anything they have coming by Rainer is going to be cool. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Universal <laughs> agreement there. So, so look for this. It's been out about a month, and if you don't have it, you, if you have don't. To yeah. Get it. If if the fact that it was in German before put you off at all, now you have no excuse. Right. And I also go out I, and get it. Unfortunately, I have to say that I I haven't seen the components. Face to face has typically done some really nice stuff. Um, I know the box is at least double the size as the original one. Okay. So whether it's just a huge box or whether the components are that much larger or cooler, I'm not sure. But right, it's gonna be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a good pick. I'm not sure it's as good as yours, but okay. it's a it's a good one. Um, the um, game I picked this week is Scurvy Musketeers of the Spanish Main. Holy crap! It might not be better than mine, but the name is, <laughs> yep. is certainly. <laughs> if, if games were to win awards by names, I think Z-Man Games would would win hands yeah. down. This is another one of the um, card games in their B-Movie series. They have a whole series of card games that are interchangeable, that are all based on you're, trying, you're actually making a B-Movie of different sorts. The best of the bunch, by far, has to be Bell-Bottom Badasses on the Mean Streets of Funk, yeah. which is a, a sort of send-up of black exploitation movies of like right. the, the 70s. There's also Cannibal Pygmies in the Jungle of Doom and... Oh gosh, I can't even rattle them Was all there, off from the top of my head. Something um, on the moon. No. Uh, I'll, we'll definitely put a list yeah, of all exactly. of them in the show notes because they're just freaking hilarious. <laughs> the, all of the different ones are are just a hoot. On top of the fact that they're actually good games, let me get to the the lowdown on cool. the games here. It was designed by Stephen Tassie. It was published by uh, Z-Man Games. They're two to six player games. Generally takes about twenty to forty minutes to play, and it retails for about fifteen ninety five. The release date, according to the website at least, is July, so awesome. um, I think that they should be uh, hitting the shelves as we speak. Um, I'm not positive of that. I haven't seen them in any stores yet, but if they're not out already, they should be coming out soon. So this is this is breaking news for cool. people listening to this video. <laughs> um, so uh, here's a little bit of canned text from the, the Z-Man people, which I think is funny enough that I'll just uh, you'll humor okay. me here for a second. So. Prepare to have your buckled swashed and your daring done in this swashbuckling cinematic B-movie card game. Players are making a B-movie by playing characters, props, and locations in their movie and sending creatures to attack the other players' movies in order to kill off the characters that are starring in the films. There are special effects cards that can modify attacks and do other wacky stuff. When the roll the credits card is played, then the player with the most points in their movie at that time is the winner. The cool thing, I think, the most cool thing about this game and the whole series is they're completely interchangeable. They're all compatible. So let's say I want to play with my bell-bottom badasses on the Mean Streets of (laughs) Funk deck, and you want to play with your scurvy Scurvy musketeers of the Spanish main deck. We can sit down and play the same game together because the mechanics are the same, even though I'm making 
you know, a black exploitation <laughs> movie, and you're making uh, a pirate, a pirate movie. movie. Right? Um, they're That's completely insane. interchangeable, which I think is just ultra cool. Yeah. And they've actually thought enough ahead, having played a few different games with the different combinations, that there are cards in each of the decks that will affect. They refer to cards. Uh, refer to other cards in other series. So there's ah. definitely an overlap. It's not like they're just sort of. You can play them together, but never the twain shall meet. They're actually right. meant to be sort of swapped in and swapped out of each other. So I know, for instance, there's Skippy the Wonder Dog is a character <laughs> in the uh, Bellbottom Badasses series, and there are, there are definitely artifacts and things that you can play from some of the other things that give Skippy extra uh, special things, which I think is just hilarious. You have so, to give him a bottle of rum, I think. Oh well, of course, from you know, the pirate, you can, from the Musketeer fan. <laughs> he can also he can get the pimp hat. In, in the, <laughs> the uh, bell-bottom basses, which I think is hilarious. That's great. Um, obviously a little lighter on the lighter side of things, but I think it's it's definitely worth checking out. Oh, yeah. The List Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge to play every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games from our list of unplayed games. The list started over 100, and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So, we're going to be extra ambitious this week, since we have three members of the spiel here at the table. We thought we would do uh, three games off of the list this week. I think that's awesome. We, uh... We've got an extra time to play some games, so um, this week we even have a theme running between the games. They're all mystery games, and they all cover a really <laughs> different ground as far as being mystery games, which yeah. I think is kind of cool right. that you can say these are mystery games, but yet they are not similar at all. They no, all are really unique in the way they, they approach the idea of being a mystery game. Right. So game number one. Uh, get right into it here, is Incognito. Um, 1988 is when it first came out. Leo Colvini and Alex Randolph are the credited designers. Um, Winning Moves, Milton Bradley um, were the, uh, are the publishers. Um, three to four players, um, you can actually do five um, with a little modification. We'll get into that in the explanation of the game. It's three to five. Um, we'll talk about that a little more later. Um, they say 90 minutes. Recommended playing time. I will take issue with that, I think, later on when we talk exactly. about things in, in detail. Here's a little synopsis. Uh, it's carnival time in Venice. A great time to be a spy because everyone is incognito. Everybody is wearing masks. Each player has a partner. The trouble is you don't know who or where they are. Using cards and clues, players must discover which of their fellow players is actually their teammate and then once you've discovered who their, your teammate is, you have to collectively find out what the, co the code to a safe is, the, basically the combination to a safe. And once you've found out your partner and the combination of the safe, your team wins. If you can't solve that mystery, you give the win to the other team. Um, initial impressions going into the, the game, what do you guys think? Um, I, I think the first thing I might say would be, that it's interesting that it was a board game initially and then it became right. a card game. Um, we played the card game version, not the board game, right. because that's the most recent release of, of the game. Um, it really has a, an interesting 
I think, mechanical system to the game in that you play out little tiles that determine where you're going to go from turn to turn, and you can only find out information from other players if you're alone at this carnival with one of the other players. So you have to try to put your sort of psychic hat on and end up being alone, you know, under the bridge or behind the theater or someplace like that. Um, and then you're allowed to find out a clue. Everybody has a series of cards that are all the different identities of the, the different spies and all the different combination numbers. Um, when you meet alone with someone, you have to exchange information with them. Um, the most interesting thing, I think, in the game is that whenever you are in that situation, you have to give one true statement and one false statement to the player. And, of course, you're sitting there with a little notepad trying to remember... Mm -hmm not only what you've told them, but what they tell you as well, with the added rule that you can never tell the same person the exact same information twice. So it's kind of a brain buster <laughs> yeah. on some level. What do you guys think? Chime in here. And, and right. I know I'm glad that they have those sheets because <laughs> there's no way I can remember what the heck I was showing everybody, exact combos. I, what I thought it was was cool about the game was it, it was so streamlined. That, I mean, the number of cards, the number of other components, there's not really a lot of stuff yes. in this game. It accomplishes what it needs to do in just you know very few simple things. The the turn layout, everything runs so smoothly. I mean, it just because most of the time, if anybody's familiar with these mystery games, they they can get crazy. Yes. this is one that has your brain working. But it's not, you know, this huge, over-the-top, crazy game. You know, it's just if you can call a game like this light, <laughs> yes, you know, at all, you know, I would say that that's what makes it one of the things that makes it cool. Did you, Mark? Did you think that the the sort of flow of the game? How long did it take you to sort of get into the flow of understanding, like how each turn was gonna play out? Uh, once you told us that we needed a sort of code. So that we could tell on our sheet what we had shown and what we had seen, that made it much easier. And then I could start to figure out a plan. Mm -hmm. But before that, it was, what am I going to do here? There's too much information every time. <laughs> did, did you, you you mentioned this was a four-player game with a fifth? I can't remember. That Yeah, I didn't get to that yet, but oh, okay. that, that's an important distinction to make. Um you can definitely tell that it was designed for four players, but there's an addition of, there's an ambassador who's sort of cycling throughout the carnival that normally is kind of like a dummy hand. You, we played with five people, and what happens is the fifth person takes on the role of the ambassador. Yes, I was the dummy. <laughs> ambassador <laughs> Dave. <laughs> he was no dummy in this game, though. He did a good job of, of screwing us over. The cool thing about the uh, ambassador is... There are slightly different rules about how the ambassador gathers information. If you're ever alone with the ambassador, um, you can demand from one of the other players that they have to give you one of their true pieces of identity with the added problem of the ambassador also gets to eavesdrop on you and hear whatever it is that you found out. So the ambassador, of course, is still trying to win right. the game as well and has to figure out who everybody is and what their combination to the safe is. They just don't have a partner. Which I love with. playing this part because I just tried to make sure I could hook up with one person by themselves and they just show me something true. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about, hmm, one's true and one's false. It was all true. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was fun. I thought uh I guess the thing I think I like the most about it is how how fast 
the game went for as sort of mentally challenging yeah. and complicated as it was that it, there was sort of a momentum that built within the game that by the time you've gone through these little location tiles that you can never you can't repeat going to the same place until you've gone, gone to every to place, place at least once, once um, that you really start to think, oh, well, okay, I think I know who my partner is now, so I don't need as much information from them. I really need to meet up with someone else, and gosh darn it, that the other person is always choosing someplace yeah. you don't want to go, um, but that it's that the mechanics are that simple, so it puts all the pressure on you just having to solve the mystery. The, the mechanics could easily get in the way of the game. In, right. That, does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? What was the thing that you enjoyed um, the most about it? Like I said, just I would say just the flow of the game. I mean, I would say in probably less than probably about two turns, we know we all knew exactly what we were doing, exactly what you needed to do. You know, in future turns, you actually got a got a grasp mm -hmm. of what you need to do really quick in this game. That doesn't happen. Yeah. In all games. You know, especially some of the other mystery type of games where you're scratching your head a little for a few turns and going, what in the heck? Yeah. But Especially so I, if you're playing it the first time, to have that was like, oh, that light bulb right, moment right. only, you know, a couple turns into the and game. And I think it was even cooler in this game because when you passed out the sheets, where you, <laughs> where like, you keep oh, track of God. all your information, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, like each person has 24 boxes and, you know... Three rows, seven columns, all this stuff, and then once you start writing it, and you're like, oh, and you don't even use. We didn't even use a fraction of those, right? You know, it's well, it looks like the game could go on forever, right? Because it looks like wow, there could be 18, 24 turns to the game because I have to ask everybody questions a zillion times, and it quickly right. became apparent. What did that we decide? How many turns did that take us? I think we played a full game in seven turns. Oh, wow, because <laughs> we didn't even get through the cycle of. The locations well, the second, twice. Right, exactly. We were in the middle of the second cycle of the different locations, yep. and uh, that's when the game, the game ended, which I think was a shock to all of us yes. that it, it snuck yeah, up on exactly. us that fast. Yeah, because of Francie, yet again. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where she was. Paul got yeah. her information. <laughs> Just out of the blue, she knew exactly who her partner was and knew the code. Yep, well, Mark and Francie were, were winners because Mark was Francie's partner. Right, right? That's, we didn't explain that, that. Yeah. Uh, maybe you did that the, you went as a team. Yeah, you went as a team. So, you know, if you're able to identify who your partner is and you're able to to get the safe code cracked, uh you both win. So, it's kind of fun that you there's kind of a collective victory. Right. Uh, I got the free ride because <laughs> I barely knew who I was. Fancy <laughs> knew the whole combination and everything. Hey, well, don't you're not supposed to say that, Mark. Come on. <laughs> I think Sir, Sailor Jerry had something to do with him not knowing who he was. <laughs> I think maybe Mark should mention, because I know you raved about it when we played, the artwork. Yes, it oh. was really nice. Mm -hmm. um, the, Talk about that maybe for the, a minute. The little location cubes or little squares mm -hmm. are just dark and mysterious, just like an evening in Italy, and, and the names are in Italian. Mm -hmm. We had to figure out the Bridge of Sighs, and the Rialto, and San Marco. Very nice. They're small, but very handsome. And the cards as well, they, they're thick enough, and they're quite beautiful. Yeah. Nice artwork. Yeah, like the characters the, with their masks. Yeah, because they really all have cool. this sort of Commedia dell'arte yep. masks on, and, and they're all unique. I mean, they, I, I like the art on it, and it yeah. too. That's yes, very not, much... Not goofy at all. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. though the names are goofy, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's worth mentioning. Exactly. The, the names of the spies are what Lord, Lord Fiddlebottom <laughs> and Colonel, uh, Colonel Bubble. Bubble. Yeah. And in fact, you were Lord Fiddlebottom. Yeah. Was it Madame Jaja? Madame Jaja and, and then, Miss 
Agent yeah. X. Agent I was X. Agent X. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's kind of fun too, but it definitely evoked kind of the period of that Renaissance mm-hmm. style. I think too. That's definitely worth mentioning. Anything you didn't like about it? I would say the only weakness, and it, and it wasn't weakness. I just two minutes ago said I enjoyed playing the. Um, is it the ambassador? No. Yeah. Yeah, the ambassador. You know, but you can tell, like you said earlier, that this looked like it was kind of tagged on. I would recommend, you know, break this out for four players. Don't never get it out just because you have five. But I would, I would say that the four player thing is probably a little bit better than the adding the fifth person. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I would ding it you know, on too. Is and that's the, not that's not anything painful. Yeah, that's not know? really a criticism of the game. That's just. They were trying to market it probably because, oh, if it's three to five, there might be more people who would buy it than, exactly. a, than a three to four player game. And I still, as the fifth player, for doing that, as but. the fifth player doing something different than everybody else, I still had a really good time. Mm-hmm. It just might not have been as perfectly balanced as you would hope yeah. it was, or as it will be with four. Yeah, yeah. I think it seems like you were kind of behind the eight ball. Um, right. Because I, you have to get so much information and you don't have a partner. Right. You don't and, start off, the, the person who's doing the ambassador starts off with no information. Mm-hmm. Whereas everybody else knows some things. You well, and you never get to really plan where you go because you have to pick the ambassador has to pick his location before everybody has picked their location. Right. So it's kind of pot luck if you actually get to do something on a up. turn. Right. I mean, there is some strategy late right. in the turn when you when can you see can what everybody's right. played. But um, what do you think, Mark? Uh, well, I thought at the same time it was neat because it made the other players have to guess a little, think a little more about where they wanted to meet because if. They the ambassador, and uh, if two people agreed to meet in the same place, and then it accidentally happened to be the ambassador, then he got. That's, that's true. true. That was the one time when, right at the ambassador meets up with two people, he didn't just get to see two things; he got to see four cards. You know, unfortunately, one, one, two from each player, one true and on one false, but four cards on one turn. Right. Is awesome, and if you have enough information from prior turns, that could be. Yeah, huge. Yeah. It didn't. Ha- I think it happened once mm-hmm. in the game, you know, something like that. But and those players don't get to trade. Oh, that that's time. that's true. You that's can take right, all the yeah. information so they, away from those lose. two. Yeah, they it's a one-way street. Everything goes right. to the ambassador, exactly. and the other players gain nothing. So that's there. Are, I mean, so it, it is kind it, of balanced in a exactly. way. So they did make an attempt to balance mm-hmm. it with the fifth player. So if you have five tried out, don't just you know, yeah, not, don't, you know, give it a shot and see and see what you think. Yeah, you know, but. I think the only other proviso I would guess I would say is it might only appeal to a certain personality type. I can see that there would definitely be certain players that don't like that kind of logic-y kind right. of game that's really going to tax your brain like mm-hmm. that, that I could see there being some pretty hostile reactions. So you, it might want to cross your mind, what kind of crowd am right. I going to pull this game out to exactly. play with where there are other games that you might not even have to think about that, that there is the possibility that, that somebody's just right. gonna, you know, but, turn their nose up at it because but, of that aspect. But, but to me, that's a positive because there aren't many right. games that kind of fill this niche that you can play. In that's what half an hour. I would say the cool thing is if you wanted to try a game of this type mm-hmm. and you weren't sure, you know, there's ten or twenty of these out there. Try this one first. Yeah, yeah it's a great way to. It's get kind into of a gateway it. mystery yeah. game in a way. I would say so. It's it's not weak by any means, but it is very easy to get into. Versus some of the other ones that can be crazy. I would say, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, playing I, it again, I would I, definitely I, pull I this a, out. Definitely a thumbs up. I'd love to play it again. Easy. Mark? Absolutely. Cool. Yep. I think uh, we've done this one, and I think we've, we would definitely uh, pull this one out in a, in a heartbeat. On to game number two. Okay. 
Uh, the second game we played tonight, another mystery game, was uh, Mystery on the Nile. It's kind of a whodunit board game. It was published in 1996 by Euro Games and Descartes Editor. It was designed by Michael Palm and Martin Drews, which are um, two designers that I'm not familiar with at all. I don't yeah, know that there's either. anything else. Um, it's it's two to six players, ages 10 and up, and the only place I've seen this recently is Fun Again for around about 25 bucks. Okay. Um, little um, insight onto the theme of this. As the game starts, you find yourself on the mighty steamship Cleopatra as she cruises up the Nile, when suddenly the famous singer Lokita Pasparita bursts into the room and announces... After catching her breath, she implicated four of her fellow fellow passengers. Now the hunt begins. It's up to you to find enough evidence to prove the guilt or innocence of each of the four suspects. Woohoo! <laughs> Sounds awesome. It's <laughs> right out of an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> so the uh, the components for this game are kind of sparse, but you do get a fairly nice game board. It shows the path of river spaces. Um, there's a place to lay out all the different types of cards. You get a cool little wooden ship marker, and you do get a scat of those miniature little cards that we all love so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the cards come in three flavors. They're like location cards, fact cards, and circumstantial evidence cards. The location cards represent the areas on the ship where the players can follow the suspects. At the beginning of the game, some of these are laid out along the river spaces, and then the rest are dealt out to the players. During the game, whenever the ship makes a stop, there's two location cards that are associated with the river space that the ship stopped on, and they determine where the players can search for clues. Um, this is important because each of the four suspects only hang out in certain locations. Gotcha. Um, the fact cards show the incriminating evidence at the scene. Uh, there's three types of fact cards. You've got fingerprints, marks, and footprints. Each one has a symbol and a color. At the beginning of the game, one of each type is chosen at random. So, for example, the incriminating evidence for a game might be blue fingerprints, yellow marks, and green footprints. Um, then you have the circumstantial evidence cards. They look just like the fact cards, but at the beginning of the game, they're randomly laid out face down in pairs beside the suspects. If you find a suspect who has a pair of circumstantial evidence cards that match the fact card of the same type, <laughs> then that suspect suspect can be convicted <laughs> i know <laughs> that's a mouthful <laughs> it'll make sense in a minute we promise yeah it's it barely made sense to us when we we're playing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um real quick each game turn is divided into five phases which i think is kind of humorous because it's really three phases yeah <laughs> and you'll understand why uh the first phase is all the players decide whether the ship is going to move one or two spaces for that turn in phase two you move the ship and reveal any location or fact cards that are associated with that space that it's moved to. That feels like one phase to me. Yeah, but... it absolutely is just one, yeah. And um, then the guts are kind of phase three and four. Uh, in phase three, you choose one or two location cards from your hand. Each card that you play must match one of the location cards that are currently next to the boat. So... What I haven't mentioned yet is that each player has two special location cards that they can play during this phase. There's a wild card. It allows you to go to any location. Once you use it, though, it's, it's removed from the game. And then you also have a no idea card that allows you to take one of the location cards from the current river space and put it into your hand. Um, you get to do this instead of visiting a location. 
It doesn't get discarded, so you can use it again over and over for future turns. Uh, using this card is the only way in the entire game where you can get a hold of more location cards. A key strategy, absolutely. Big time. <laughs> and then you have Phase 4. Phase 4 is when you actually do get to look at a pair of circumstantial evidence cards for each location card that you played in Phase 3. So, for example, if you played a bar location card, you can examine the circumstantial evidence cards of either of the two sp suspects that hang out in the bar. Um, location cards that are used in this phase, discarded. That's it. Then you got phase five, which is really not a phase. You change the starting player and go to a new turn. It's pretty simple. Uh, the game ends when the ship arrives in Cairo. Each player writes down which of the suspects are innocent or could be convicted based on the circumstantial evidence. The most accurate detective wins the game. Most picks. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure all of you out there have been paying close yeah, attention. Yeah. There'll be a quiz in yes. five minutes, and you'll be expected to remember all of what you just heard. <laughs> as as crazy as it is, I have to say that when I was first learning this game, I was read I was reading the instructions, which are translated because yes. we have the German copy of the game. Um, and I didn't have the board nor the components with me, and I was reading the instructions, and I was mind-boggling. What in the heck is going on here? Um, but once you get a hold of all the components and everything, right. it, it starts to be very clear of what you're doing. For as confusing as that description might have sounded, <laughs> it's actually, one, again, sort of like incognito, I think. Once you kind of got the flow of like one or two turns, mm -hmm. it's actually not that difficult to understand the kind of flow of what you do on right. a given turn. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Or, I was totally shocked that it was easy yeah. as it was. And fast. That's oh, the holy man. <laughs> he mentions the thing about everybody votes to decide whether the ship moves forward one space or two um, at the beginning of each turn. You quickly realize <laughs> that you want the ship to go slowly, but because the only way to make it go slowly is to give up the precious location oh, yes. cards, which is the only way for you to find clues out. Almost no one wants to make the ship break because you don't want to give up those cards. Right. So the ship is like rocketing across the <laughs> Nile towards Cairo, and you're like, just slow down for the yeah. love of God. I have to figure this mystery you've out. Got, you've got, what, 12 pairs of circumstantial evidence cards out there. We had between five and seven turns. Yeah. Period. At most, and that was with two breaks. Right. And the second we played this game twice, actually, and, yep. and it was so fast. <laughs> and uh, we didn't even get close to being able to flip over cards and see the majority of, of the different clues to the suspect. So the, I like the, the pacing. Yeah. really it's... has a sort of drama sense of the game. <laughs> it, it, the sound, if you can hear that, is Mark's bird call clock. <laughs> We're way out in this day. <laughs> We're being attacked by wild birds. <laughs> On the hour, every hour, yes. for some reason. <laughs> We're a punctual state. Yes. What bird was that? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever bird awakens at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> back, to, back to mystery on the Nile. Back to Egypt. I, um, I like what, what we did mention is that uh, when you get to look at the circumstantial evidence cards... There are some times in the game when you're actually allowed to switch out. Yes, that's really some cool, of those actually. with the cards that you have. You just you let everybody know that you are in fact making a switch, but what they don't know is, are you actually making a switch that is going to set this suspect up mm -hmm. as somebody who can be convicted, or are you actually leaving a red herring? Mm -hmm. Which 
is going to force most of the people to mm. want to go back and look at those pairs if they've already looked at them or to make sure that they get to look at them if they haven't. And you can't afford right. to, to go <laughs> yeah. back and look at something yeah. twice. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool Yeah, uh, to me, that's almost my favorite aspect of the game is the fact that not only is it kind of a mystery game, but you have control over the mystery. Right. You can actually determine who's guilty and who's yeah. innocent if you and, have the right cards in your hand. If You know, I had one that I definitely... Fingered uh, Mr. Christie. <laughs> That's, I guess, another thing we didn't mention is the the names of the suspects are definitely they Take definitely right. evoke uh, Agatha Christie type novels. You have, you know, Mr. Marple and Mr. Christie, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, there's just a very nice the feel look of the board have that sort of Poirot uh, mystery um, on the Nile feel to it, even yes. though they can't, you know, can't quite, can't quite go yeah. that that right. last mile to make it. You know, the actual characters in the thing. It definitely is a, a nice homage to to those things. Right. But I love the fact that you're not just a detective. You can, you can totally <laughs> say, that guy, I'm going to totally plant evidence and make that guy guilty so I know he's guilty, and then somebody's going to have to waste turns right. to maybe find out whether you did that or made them innocent because you can go the right. other way around. And somebody could go in and, well, I guess once you set the pairs, you can't change it. Yeah, That's once the they're one. convictable on a, a pair of evidence cards, yeah. they can never be reversed. But to me, I really like that aspect of the game, that it's not just a, a static right. board, right. that you can actually go in and mess with the clues that you exactly. find. Uh, that seems cool to me. I, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And which other, what other mystery game have you played where, at, at the end of the game, you may have no convictable <laughs> yes. suspects, or you could have, have as many as three or four convictable suspects. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just very unique. Mark, what did you enjoy most about... About Mystery on the Nile. I agree. The ability to manipulate the evidence. I I was just waiting for that every time. Oh, good. Finally, I can look at one of these and oh, I can change it. <laughs> and you did a good job of, of faking us oh, out right, several yeah. times. Like, is Mark evil or is Mark going to make that poor woman innocent? I don't know. <laughs> and then Either we way, you can't that he's check. always evil. Yeah. And we went back and looked at the cards. <laughs> Nobody trusts me. <laughs> we have reasons. <laughs> exactly. Well, I would say this is this is a game that surprisingly I think I would come back to and really enjoy playing because I had read and heard a lot of flack about mm -hmm. this game, and I think the majority of it was unwarranted. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it 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 is light, and it does have expect the translation. It lost a lot in the translation. You the took rules. it took you. I mean, you've done a yeoman's work parsing that down into some semblance of sense to everyone right. else because I saw those rules, and good mm. God, that's. Hard to yeah, they were hard little, to imagine how little, you got as much sense out of them as you they did. They left a lot of important information out, but um, but I but I thought it was a hoot, and I would yeah. definitely welcome, especially the pace. Man, again, yes. The, the first game we played, I think we were like upset that it went so fast. Mm -hmm. You know, like wow. So we set it up and played it again, knowing that that was the pace, and we. We played the game knowing that the, that's what the pace was going to be, and it was awesome. I think we enjoyed it even yes, more it was the much, second time as a much, result of much understanding yeah. that, wow, you really had to – you can't mess around. You can't think, <laughs> oh, well, I'll come back to that later. You better do it now, or you may not get a <laughs> yeah. chance to do it later. Um, I think there are definitely some things we can ding it oh, on, though. Yeah. Um, ding away. The, <laughs> the the retarded thing at the beginning with oh. – you know, there's a starting space on the board where you start the ship out. And yep. you can move the ship, you know, either one or two spaces. Well, the starting space actually has cards on it 
that you're absolutely never going to see. Right. It makes no sense to us that the first fix we did in the second go-around was to start the ship off, off the, board the board because why have spaces on the board yeah. for those cards if they can absolutely never, never come into play? Right. Likewise, the ending space, um, the way the world rules are worded, and I still think this is probably just bad translation. Yeah. I think that definitely it says, you know, the minute you come to Cairo, you the game ends. Well, I think clearly because there are cards on the Cairo space, it makes sense that you would want to have because the game would just be that much shorter. Yeah, the trans just definitely lost. Tra- they meant that at mm-hmm. the end of the turn in which the ship arrives in Cairo, right. that's when the game ends. Right. And I guess maybe ding number two would be the fact that. They don't seem to have a way to accommodate most people tying on victories very well. Yes. I think that's definitely worth hitting on. That's, is I, that if you go through the little guilty and innocent thing at the end, you just basically go across the board and say, "Is suspect number one, you know, innocent? Is Mister Marple innocent or guilty?" And everybody goes around, and I think it has a nice little bit of drama where you can turn over the cards and see whether he is guilty or and not. I think that turning over cards is something we even invented. Yes. To- to sort of add the, exactly. the mystery element to it, you know, the, I've gathered you all here in the you know, <laughs> foyer to discuss this. Um, but the to me, you know, both games we played ended up in at least a two, if not yeah, three-way two tie. Two and three-way ties. And there's something just sort of, you know, right. and it was kissing des- your sister kind of <laughs> <laughs> feeling about getting to the end of the game where, you know, there should, you want there to be, it's not that I hate games where right. there can be kind of a shared victory because Incognito did that and exactly. it didn't bug me. But the fact that it's almost, it seems like the minority it. is going to be the loser and not the winner. Exactly. That seems a little weird to me. Right. I don't know. What do you Especially guys think? Especially yeah, when the object of the game is to be the detective with the most correct picks and knowing that, you know, I would say 70% of the time you're always going to tie with at least one other player. That's, that's a letdown because the game is not, you know, put out to be a comp- <laughs> or a cooperative type of game. You... You the, want to win. You spend the whole time setting bad evidence up and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, mm-hmm. trying to be the best, knowing that there's really a very small chance of you winning alone. Yeah. The process of playing the game is so fun that it almost justifies that because Bingo. I think the the playing of the game, as we want to, to say always, that the process of a playing is as much, if not more important, than you know the eventual victor in the game. And maybe this is just a great example of that. I know you mentioned one easy fix we kind of came up with an easy fix that doesn't really change any rules that i think um really deals with this problem in a very direct way we didn't eliminate a lot of the ties we didn't get a chance to test it out but instead of um just saying whether suspect is convicted or innocent you could actually break down that suspect's evidence into three groups the three categories the fingerprints the marks and the footprints which actually instead of four picks you're now going to have 12 picks three of those categories for each of the four suspects and now i would think that there's a lot a much greater chance out of those 12 that there won't be as many ties uh, yeah i would agree you know there still might be ties but they'll happen less often right. which is all basically we're asking for exactly and plus the game is so short even though this will draw out that end game which is going to be a lot of fun you're not adding <laughs> But a couple more minutes right, right. to the end of it. So. And you're changing none of the rules. Yeah, which is no, the other cool none thing. None of the about rules the fix. exactly. You're <laughs> just you're just forcing everybody to pay a little closer attention. One thing that's different in this mystery game than others is you're writing down nothing yes, during the yes, game. You, yeah. You're remembering everything you've seen. You're not marking anything down until the <laughs> very end in which you're writing your picks right. down. But <laughs> everything is for memory. Right. 
So that was pretty fun because I have no memory. <laughs> well, well, Mark, maybe you should get the final word on this since you're a, a mystery reader uh, and a great fan of Agatha Christie. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should speak to that in terms of, you know, do you think, do you think it does a good job of kind of staying true to that kind of Agatha Christie-ish theme in terms of the way it's presented as a game? And just as a as a mystery reader and a mystery lover, is it a game that appeals to you and a game that you would want to sit down and play again? Um, I would say I'd enjoy playing it again. Uh, the look of the board is very Agatha Christie. Makes you think of that period. And it's kind of neat. A lot of it seems to be, since it goes so fast, you're really kind of winging a prayer, guessing on some of the aspects, especially if you have all 12 categories at the end. And that's like an Agatha Christie. <laughs> you get all the evidence yeah. in the book, but at the end you're completely flabbergasted. Still wow. making a few stabs in yeah, the dark. right. You don't know who did it. That's cool. I never thought of it that way, but that's, yeah, that's, that's really great. cool. Yeah. Well, I'd say that was... Easily, three thumbs up. Let's, let's do it again. Even with the weaknesses, fun game. Yeah, really fun game. Definitely worth checking out. Cool. So, finally, for our third and final installment in the Spiel Mystery Hour this evening, we have 221B Baker Street. Ah, dun, dun, dun. Classic. Classic <laughs> game. <laughs> Great uh, Sherlock Holmes-based game. Uh, it was originally published in 1977. Although uh, it has an uncredited uncredited designer for the the game itself the actual mysteries in the game have uh, some credit here so we'll give it where it's due james thompson and r ted anasti are the authors of the actual mystery books which is basically the meat of the of the game as you'll soon see john hansen company is the publisher of the game um it's two to six players about 45 minutes um and it's readily available um I believe, um, through most of the, the game sites still today. Um, into, the, into the meat of the description here now. So 221B Baker Street is your home. You're Sherlock Holmes. Together with Dr. Watson, you and your fellow players are going to comb the London streets and alleys to look for clues to solve baffling crimes. The first player to announce the correct solution can wear his or her deer stalker with pride. <laughs> It really is that simple in terms of the the play of the game. So basically, it kind of has a bit of the um, choose-your-own-adventure-ish feel to it in that you have a mystery book that is filled with clues and the solution to each mystery, and you have a series of cards that have the different mysteries, the different cases that you're going to solve. So on any particular game, you're going to select one of those mysteries, and it's going to be read out loud. It's basically like a little short story telling you about the particular crime, you know, heinous crime that's occurred in London, and you're going to be set out onto the streets to try to solve the mystery. Ours tonight was uh, the death of a strange preacher in a playhouse. Yes, the unholy uh, (laughs) preacher. Uh, He was stabbed in the the playhouse. Um, They found uh, cigarettes and aspirin aspirin. at the site. And there are a whole list, a litany of suspects that could possibly be involved uh, from bishops to duchesses and all these different places, the board is the game is played on a board of the Lon- of uh, Victorian London. You start out at two twenty one B Baker Street, and by rolling dice, it's a very classic game in the sense it's a roll and move kind of game. Yep. You roll your dice and you move your little detective pawn around to the different locations. However, upon arriving at a different location, 
the back of the mystery card with a little short story will key you in to which clue in the in the mystery book to look at and it might give you information that's helpful to solving the mystery it might be a red herring or it might say no clue at all you don't have any way of knowing until you go to these different locations all of your fellow investigators are out combing the streets doing the exact same thing that you are and by process of elimination or deduction um, they're never straightforward oh like clue or something <laughs> oh he did it with the sword they're all like little mini puzzles um, you know little mind benders basically when you find these clues they're not just going to spell it out to you so you have to string these clues together in order to get some sense of who might or might not have committed the crime when you think you've got an idea they'll usually on the mystery card they'll list out all the different things in our case it was who committed the murder what weapon did they commit it with and why did they commit it which is what became a, a point of part. contention with our, right. our particular game in, in specific um, that's the basic flow and, and, and uh, gist of the game um, I'll open it up to the floor here now um, initial impressions what, what did you all think did you like it what, what, uh, what are th your thoughts I think the little mysteries blew me away. Hmm. I mean, it was just two or three paragraphs. Right. And that was all that you get to set up the mystery. And I, it was, they just gave you so much information in those three things. They were so well written. Um, just from that point on, I was taken in. And then when we started to go search and find the clues, how intricately that the, clue, the clues were woven into each other hmm. were just so cool it, you felt like you were reading a novel you were playing this this whole entire story you know right there and there's 20 in each game there's 20 different ones and i can't wait to play the next 19 yeah <laughs> <laughs> to me yeah that's to as a writer myself i i tip my hat to the, these guys who wrote the the mysteries because they basically just are giving you like a pencil sketch of a story but yet your imagination can fill in all the the other areas around the stuff that they leave out. They give you just enough information to sort of uh, the skeleton of a story that you can begin to hang the clues that you find to form some sort of more broad idea about what's going on in, in this story. So it's like a little movie playing out in your head. You can see, you know, the scene of the crime, and as you build the clues, you can see these different scenes that had to have stacked up to make right. make this crime happen that... It definitely evokes that sort of Sherlock Holmes sense of the world where Absolutely. you can kind of put logically put these things together in a way that, you know, someone else might not be able to. Uh, Mark, what what are your thoughts? Uh, I'd say this is my favorite of the three. Oh, really? Good. Yes. and uh, Why? Just the idea that you, it wasn't just turning over cards to find out, is this the answer? And the way that they... Some of the clues were split up, so you even had to go to two different places, but you didn't know which two places they were to, to get the full clue, which mm -hmm. is the one that, <laughs> the one that got clock. you. <laughs> and even those two partners weren't just, here's half of an answer and here's half of another answer. They were right? riddles. They were riddles, you know, word-type riddles, word mm -hmm. association type of things. Mm -hmm. And that's just cool. Right. Um, yeah, I, so it's more the fact that... The, solving the mystery was less based on random chance mm -hmm. and more on like the skill, the mental right. skill of the. Is that a fair assessment yes. of what you're saying? Yeah. Right. I would I would totally agree with Absolutely. that. I hadn't yeah. thought it's, of that in those terms. Yeah, every time you totally sit down, right. it's not going to be suspect A did you know this mm -hmm. in this room 
and we can prove it because of fingerprints. It's like a full blown, complete new story yeah. with new characters and yeah. I mean, the the board is more like a canvas, and each time it's kind of like a blank slate, and you're gonna find you know you can paint in a different way, and the narrative is gonna play out a different way. Yep. Um, on that board each time you play it. So, to me, that's a huge plus. You know, yeah. with any game replayability is just out the yeah. And while while there's twenty storyline, twenty mysteries that come in here, I'm not sure of the availability. But there are nine more expansions. At least each, nine. I think there are actually more than that. Each even. with twenty more. So if those are available and you can find them, you can be, you can play this game for a long time. If you're committed, time. you can find all those. I am sure. I've seen them in Goodwills. I've seen them in other places. Awesome. I mean, <laughs> you have to be diligent. You're not going to just walk out and find all nine. I think for sale someplace. But um, they're definitely out there because they were printed in large quantities. <laughs> so I know if it, if this game is one that. Sounds like it would appeal to you. Even better news is that there are just so many more mysteries out there that you could sit down and play this with. Right. I also, I guess, one thing I think is good to mention too is that I think this is a game you could play with kids, pretty small kids, to just teach them how to sort of start to understand the deductive reasoning. That you know, the whole process of playing the game is pretty simple, and you know, you could probably play this with a ten or twelve year old and. Right, you know they're they're not so complicated of mysteries that it's just going to blow the twelve year old's mind. Right. Um, at the same time, I think some of those mechanics are the things that I would ding the game on in terms of the roll and move mechanic. Right. It's just so tired, and you know we in every case with all three of these games they played so much faster than we expected them to play and this one because of the roll and move mechanic we were just waiting for the book yep. <laughs> <laughs> like okay I've already rolled and moved my pawn I got a one so I'm moving and I'm doing nothing there's a little bit of annoyingness to the game in that part I think just because it's frustrating because that's not the fun of the game the fun of the game is getting to the locations and finding out the next piece of the mystery so that you can you know string it all together and figure right. things out um, what do you guys what do you guys think in terms of things you might not like or might want to wish were different just the the dice rolling mechanic was the only problem I had and it's hard to have a problem with that because that's just a classic style of board game it's sort of a product of its era it, exactly so while we may not like it we certainly understand why it is what it is you know and if you can forgive that yeah it's certainly the rest of it is whoo Way worth it. For me, it didn't inhibit me no. enjoying the overall game play right. itself. Yes, it, it was annoying when I rolled five ones in a row <laughs> and could not move. And everybody's like, oh, I'm finding clues right and left. But that's just, I mean, that's just built in. Somebody else might roll five ones, and that's just the break. So it, right. it, didn't, it didn't, uh, didn't change my opinion overall. No. I would definitely pull this one out right. any day of the week and play it again. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be really sad when the 20... Mysteries in, the, in this right. box are done. Yep, yep. <laughs> I know we can find the other ones out there, and if, if any of you know where to look to find these things, yeah. the first shameless plug, I can't <laughs> believe it. we've gone this far Ooh. into the episode without pimping our website, thespiel.net, but uh, send us some email at stephen at thespiel.net or dave at thespiel.net and let us know, because I know at least one person at the table who would interested in knowing where he might get his hot little hands on Heck yeah. some more of those uh, mysteries. Um, all in all, I I think we hit the kind of jackpot with all three of these mystery yeah. games. What do you yeah. guys think? It was a great evening. I mean, being able to bundle all these three mystery games together, having them play much quicker than we thought they were going to play, and having them all be surprised for at least a couple of them 
they were really fun games. Yeah. Some of them we weren't, we didn't have high hopes for some of them. <laughs> yeah. And they, they were all good. And I think we agree that 221B Baker Street was the most enjoyable, but all three of them, great, yeah. fun mystery games. Yeah, and, and it's a category that there are not a ton of games in. No. So it's it's a really nice thing, I think, for you out there to know that you could turn to any three of those. And if you have mystery fans, this might be a way to turn them on to the wider world of games out there that might appeal to them that they would think, oh, I don't want to play Monopoly again. We were like, well, how about a Sherlock Holmes game? Yeah. There you go. Exactly. You've got you've got them hooked right there. And so. if, any, if anybody out there is curious about other mystery games, send Stephen or I an email. Yep. There's at least another 10 or 15 or 20 out there in addition to these three we played tonight. Right. So we don't have our list categorized. You can see all the games that we've played and all the ones we haven't played on our list, but we can we can winnow that down and show you which ones exactly. we have and which ones we played that we would recommend too. Cool. Thumbs up huge thumbs up on yeah. this bad boy. Right. Three more off yeah. the list. <laughs> check, <laughs> check, check. Backshelf Spotlight. These games need some love and we're going to give it to them. The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. So, a little housekeeping to begin with in the Backshelf Spotlight. First off, uh, I'm flying solo with this Backshelf Spotlight because we had a little technical glitch with uh, the recording of that particular segment, so... Uh, Bear with me. I'll uh, try to get through Backshelf Spotlight without Dave and Mark sniff. Uh, the first bit of housekeeping, though, beyond uh, the technical issues, is that we have a challenge from last week. The challenge from last week, for those of you who may or may not remember, is that there is a connection. There's always going to be a connection between the two games we pick with the Backshelf Spotlight. The games in last episode were Go and Renfield. And there were two connections between these games. We had a few listeners get one of the two connections, which was pretty good. But uh, nobody managed to, to do the exacta and get both of the picks of the connections. So without further ado, with the drum roll here, here are the two connections. Uh, the first one, which is the one that some people got, is that both Go and Renfield are games that are in black and white. <laughs> So in Go, you have the black and white stones, and in cheap-ass games, because they pride themselves on making their games as affordable as possible, all of the components are printed in black and white. So connection number one, the games are in black and white. Now connection number two, you may want to reach through your uh, iPod or your computer screen and whap us about the head, but <laughs> here's, here's connection number two. Connection number two is a little more abstract. In Go you have formations of the stones on the board that have, over time, they've gotten nicknames. In Go, a particular nickname for a formation where you've got your opponent surrounded with your stones and have one of the other color stones in the middle is an eye. Well, of course, in Renfield, for those of you who don't remember, Renfield, you're playing competing grave diggers trying to buy and sell body parts for Dr. Frankenstein's of, of the old Gothic villages. You have cards, and on those cards, of course, there are eyeballs. So connection number two, both games have eyes. 
Send your uh, complaints or your kudos to Stephen at thespiel.net or Dave at thespiel.net. And as always, our website address is thespiel.net. On with the Backshelf Spotlight. So this week we have two really good games. I'm sorry that Dave's not here to, to champion him champion them this week because they were his picks. Uh, the two games for the Backshelf Spotlight, again, remember, listeners, there are, are connections. There is one connection this week between Dungeon Quest and Nuclear War. Those are the two games featured on the Backshelf Spotlight. Dungeon Quest was published in 1987. It was designed by Dan Glimn and Jacob Bonds. Um, Games Workshop was the uh, publisher. It's one to four player game, 60 minutes. It's currently out of print here in America. I did look it up on eBay, and it looks like you can do the buy it now thing for surprisingly less than I would have thought. It's about $60, which sounds a little pricey, but these older Games Workshop games tend to tend to be kind of collectible, and I'm surprised it wasn't higher, to be honest. So you might rush right out and see if you can find that for 60 bucks. if this game sounds cool to you. Uh, interestingly enough, it was originally published by a German company called Brio in 1985, and it was called Drakborgen. Uh, on to the description of the game. Uh, in Dungeon Quest, all the players are exploring the ruins of Dragonfire Castle, trying to reach the treasure chamber in the center of the dungeon and escape alive with, with as much treasure as possible. There's a limited number of turns in the game, um, which puts a pressure on the players to take risks and score rewards because anyone left in the dungeon uh, when time runs out is dead. There's a little sunset meter that after everybody's had a turn, the sun moves a little higher in the sky and eventually will set. And if you're in the dungeon after its sun goes down, it's assumed that all the monsters are going to yomp on you. Uh, the really, really cool thing about this game is the modular aspect to it. There are all kinds of tiles that play out on this grid. When you move your little uh, figurine forward, you can be all sorts of different fantasy-type characters. You've got your stock wizards, your uh, rangers, your elves, uh, your warriors of chaos. All the different representatives are there. When you step forward onto this grid, there are a pile of tiles that all have passages or rooms or stairs down, the, the rooms could rotate, there could be traps, and there are multiple, multiple decks of cards that will allow you to encounter different things depending upon the kind of space that you're in. Of course, the odds are way stacked against you, and you'll find out from the beginning. You'll end up with a pit trap and five monsters before you've taken two steps into the into the maze. But to me, that's actually a plus because it really makes you feel like you've accomplished something when, you've, when you actually... Uh, manage to get to the end and if you're able to get out. Uh, for instance, we actually played this recently with Dave, and he had never managed to get out with the moon, which is one of the biggest treasures in the game. And uh, luckily enough, I think there's only a uh, 15% chance that you're actually going to get out numerically if you work out all the odds of the, the cards and things, and Dave managed to get out with the moon, which was an amazing accomplishment and something he'd never done before in all the years of playing this game. I would highly encourage you to check it out. I think it's a, a great game. Um, it is art, out of print, so maybe a little harder to find. The components are really cool. It definitely could go on the truckloads of Goober list, in my opinion. Um, would definitely encourage you to check out Dungeon Quest. So game number one, Dungeon Quest. Number two, we're on to Nuclear War, a, the granddaddy of them all. It's a great hobby-style game, really one of the first ones that, that I think exists in this kind of genre. It was published in 1965. Douglas Malawicki is the designer 
Flying Buffalo is the publisher. It's a two to six player game, about sixty minutes. You can still it's still in print. You can still find it online for around twenty dollars at most of the major game retailers online. Um, in Nuclear War, each player is representing a major world power and is attempting to uh, gain world domination through strategic use of propaganda and nuclear weapons. <laughs> More on the nuclear side than the propaganda. Uh, certainly not necessarily a politically correct game in that, you know, there's there's nothing like the sort of sick pleasure in making your opponent spin the spinner to determine how many millions of uh, dead that your uh, megaton bombs are dropping, but it's a whale of a good time. Uh, I think the most interesting mechanic, it's a card game uh, for the most part, is that your players, uh, your opponents get to see out in front of you basically the turns that are coming up because you have to lay out cards sort of in preparation so they can see if they're planning on launching missiles. They may not who they're, know who they're going towards, but you can say, oh, that nation is getting ready to fire a giant missile. I better get my butt ready or that might be coming my way. Uh, it's a, just a rollicking lot of fun. It's a classic of this sort of hobby kind of genre game, I think, uh, especially the fact that it's been around since 1965 and it still is in print speaks volumes to the quality of the game. There have been several expansions. There's nuclear proliferation and there's also uh, weapons of mass destruction. The interesting thing is both of the expansions are also standalone, so you could play them as separate games or you can add them into the major game and just have a giant nuclear war deathmatch. Uh, interestingly enough, though, even though I say it's sort of not politically correct, most of the game, most of the time, nobody's going to end up winning because everybody's going to end up blowing each other up, which I think kind of makes a little bit of a political statement there that, you know, in a nuclear war, probably no one's going to win. Uh, anyway, I would encourage you to check it out. They're both venerable games of, of the genre. And remember, there are two connect or there's one connection, sorry, between these two games, Dungeon Quest and Nuclear War. Send us your guesses at steven at thespiel.net or dave at thespiel.net. We'll be interested to see what you have. That'll wrap up Backshelf Spotlight for this week. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Truckloads of Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. So without further ado, here are the goobermeisters with their pick. So, my turn with truckloads of goober this week. I've got a good one, I think, picked out here. Um... I don't, we haven't really covered any of these kinds of games yet on the Spiel. Um, no. It's a dexterity kind of game. Uh, the game is Carabande. It's a, a dexterity-based game. It's yeah. a racing game. Um, it was p first published in 1995. Jean Dupol was the author. I'm probably butchering the name, <laughs> so I apologize in advance. Gold Sieber was the publisher. It's two to eight players. takes about 30 minutes to play. Here's the sticker shock. For all those people out here, it is available for the low, low price of $140. <gasps> Ouch. But for that $140, you get a really freaking cool game. Um, 
it's it, the 1996 Spiel de Jar winner was Carabande, so it comes with a good pedigree. It's a finger flicking racing fun game. Players take turn flicking their brightly colored wooden car discs around curvy walled racetracks. With just the right touch, the cars can ricochet through tight spaces and zip around the yellow rails which line the course. The modular tracks can be assembled in a variety of configurations, and the expansion sets add obstacles and ramps. It's strangely addictive and nerve-wracking game, and best of all, it's great for all ages. I cannot stress how cool this game is. It, you have puzzle piece racetracks that you set out on the board, and you can configure them just like you would you know, your old slot cars or, or race right. cars or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but you're playing with little, basically like little Formula One cars on wooden discs. And the way you move, you know, there's no dice rolling or any of that sort of thing. Your car moves because you get down at table level and flick with your <laughs> finger and flick it down the board as far as it'll go. And it can crash into and through other cars. It has to stay on the board. That's really the only rule. I think yep. if, it, if it falls off, it comes back into the point where it fell off the track. I, I think so. That's and and there's right. some penalty points. There's or some penalty wackiness. points and things. I don't get into the the whole. It's just so much fun just to fun just to, to just yeah. flick the the thing. Yeah. The mechanics are almost totally beside the point yeah, of this exactly. game. The whole game just boils down into trying to flick. You know, can I make it between those two <laughs> things, or can I flick it off that red car and zip around the corner? And because the the corners have the rails yeah, on the them, bumpers, you can yeah. actually get a little momentum going and zip your car around these tracks. Oh yeah. Um, I haven't played with the the ramps, the ramps, or the, the other stuff, but that just oh. sounds so cool to have. You know, the ability to jump over jump to different things yeah. like that. How can that not? Be I, cool? I've seen people flick their little car pieces. And those and they do amazing things. They'll like go through an S turn, come out of it, go around another thing, and travel halfway down a straightaway. It's like <laughs> what? How in the heck was that happening? Yep. <laughs> so I I can't stress enough how just physically fun the game is in terms of the the tactileness of the pieces and just the fun of you're all gathered around a board game in a way that you're almost never around a board game. It's almost always a sort of static, very passive. You know, you might move a piece, you might roll a die. I mean, you can actually, I mean, I'm not saying you're going to break a sweat playing the game or anything. This is not aerobics or anything. But you're up in an active position playing this game that is way different than most other games. And it's totally because of the goober. Oh, yeah. You know, the goober is what is yeah. the reason yeah. that, you know, brings you up there and makes you want to flick the game. And it's the goober that's going to make you want to get this game out and play it. And, and the track, the goober, the track pieces are... Uber goober. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This man, is like are, on the high end of the goober list. Yeah, I mean these things. They it weighs the game weighs like fifty pounds or yeah, something. These yeah. things are so <laughs> thick, it's crazy. I know Mark hasn't had a chance to play this one yet, but hopefully, this little description will make yeah. him whenever he's uh, out visiting us at uh, Spiel Central. He's going to be like, get get Carabonde out because <laughs> exactly. we've got to play. Now, now we put the flicker in his mind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, that's bad. Sorry, I'm going to flick you. <laughs> so um, that'll do it for Truckloads of Goober. The Game Sommelier, or Right Game, Right Crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor to be called, the Game Sommelier. 
Here's Stephen with this week's challenge. So to review from last <laughs> from last last week on the oh, spiel, oh. <laughs> Dave's challenge was to find five games that you can teach to non-English speakers. Games that they can learn to play and play well enough to win. These games cannot be team games. In other words, they have to play on their own. At least one of these games in the list ha uh, must be a multiplayer game. So you can do some two-player games, but at least one of them has to be a multiplayer game. Cool. I'm really interested to see what you come <laughs> up with here because this, this should be a... A hoot. <laughs> this was fun. I enjoyed this. Oh, good, good. It, it was a hoot. So before I give you my five picks, I'll let you know that um, all of my picks are games that I think can be taught by demonstration alone. Uh, not not just a little English. I think no English. Awesome. You well, raised the bar on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens. You guys may just bludgeon me about the head yeah, and shoulders yeah. with these picks. So, oh, the one extra thing, since we have Mark, our special guest here, uh, Dave's challenge is even a little more difficult because he has to convince both of us that's to give him the that's thumbs, ten up. thumbs up. That's 10 thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> hey. we're all thumbs, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, let us have it. What's what's the first one on the Okay. Part? The first one is Snorta. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. We just finished playing Snorta about an hour ago. And, and I did really not funny. tell them that I had picked this. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, it's an animal noise-making memory card game. <laughs> that makes total sense okay it, it's insane it comes with plastic miniature farm animals little plastic barns and a deck of cards and it's simple on your turn basically you just have to make animal noises <laughs> if you can look at the pictures on cards and make animal noises when there's a match of those cards laying out on the table you know how to play the game there's obviously maybe a little more involved but if you were sitting here in front of me rather than just listening to me on the iPod, I could show you how to play this game in 10 seconds. I agree. I can't, <laughs> I can't argue with that. It is such a fun game and so stupid and silly and just addictively fun at the same time. You'll get the occasional stick in the mud and, nah, I don't want to play this game because I always lose or something. But how can you not have fun sitting across from someone going, moo, bark, oink, <laughs> or some combination of, of those, now, those my, sounds? My, my question is, is, is that the same in English as it is Japanese? <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> I think we might have to consult a dictionary to find out. <laughs> I know, actually, ironically enough, that there are different sounds that, that in languages they actually do have, they different, have different sounds. I can't think of one like off the top of my head. That would be cool if there's any listeners in here awesome. that want to write in and, and give yeah. us lists of the onomatopoetic you know, uh -huh. things. But it would be easy for someone who was not oh. a native English speaker to catch on that, oh, or, in uh, English, this is what you know, pigs sound Or you sound just like. have to make the pig sound that they're making. Who yeah, cares? That's true. That's you know? true. That's awesome. It would be awesome. <laughs> so that's my first one. I can't give you anything but a big, big yeah. old thumbs up. Stephen gives one. me. Yes. Mark gives me. Woohoo! I'm already at two. <laughs> okay. No my my second pick is Blockus. It's an abstract strategy game, but it's so easy to learn how to play. Each person has a set of pieces that they're trying to get rid of by playing onto the board. There's one rule: when you play a piece. It has to be touching one of the other pieces that you've already played only by the corners. That's it. <laughs> I could put my piece on the board, show this person how my other pieces have to lay, end of instructions. 
Yep, I can't argue with that one either. That's that's an excellent, excellent choice. It's a fun game. It's, it's an elegant game, and it's definitely a game that someone could catch on to the rules enough that they could really, if they, if their brain can get around that concept, right. they could totally trash you at it. If, <laughs> if they, you know, whether they know English or not, you know, they're probably going to be talking smack <laughs> with you at the end if they mop the floor with you. Exactly. Um, it's an excellent choice. Cool. Thumb, thumbs yep. up. Another double. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. The next game is LCR. Oh, man. <laughs> now, th- it's a gambling dice game. Cheezometer just went ding! <laughs> ding, 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 ding! <laughs> I, I, I will say before picking this, if you play this too long, it's kind of like a Chinese water torture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a little painful, but it's basically, it is a gambling game. It's simple. You roll three dice, you do what the dice say. You either pass some of your money to the right, some to the left, some to the center of the pot. If you're the last person left in the game with money, you get the pot and you play another round. The symbols on the dice are L's. There are R's and there's C's. Ooh. A monkey could play this. <laughs> not that I not that I'm yes, saying anything, yes, but, yes, yes. but you could easily show somebody how to play this game in two seconds. It's painfully easy. Absolutely. Now, I have to say, even though we're kind of moaning and groaning at this, and I see eyes rolling, <laughs> this, I, I know, I can, back, I can back this up with facts. This is disgustingly popular. Oh, yeah. It is I amazingly know. popular. I'm not saying by us, but this game definitely fits the category. I'm, I now await my thumbs, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. I want to give you a thumb, but <laughs> not where you want it. <laughs> Man, I guess I have to. Yes, if, it, if you give in to the fact that it is in fact a game, which I am <laughs> grudgingly, <laughs> grudgingly <laughs> will allow, it is so close to being a non-game <laughs> as to be disallowed and you're booted out of the the room. <laughs> But yes, I have to give in in the end, and despite my grumbling. It's it. It certainly is a game, and mystifyingly popular. I don't understand the appeal. Exactly. When there are other greed games or other games, they're so much better. I just it. I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. You know, if someone out there can un- can explain to me why this game is cool, please let me know because I would love. You know, I. Convert me, please. But right. that given, that said, it is a game in the loosest <laughs> form of the word. I give you, it looks like I'm getting a pinky. I'm giving <laughs> you a thumb. I'm giving you a thumb tip. Okay. <laughs> how, how much, Mark? Well, I, according to the rules of the game, you have to get the thumbs up. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, and there's the birds. Our... See, even the birds. Nature itself is revolting. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, number four is Othello. Classic two-player, once again, abstract strategy game. So simple. The board is just a simple grid. The components are simple. They're two-sided discs. One side white. One side black. One person gets the white. One person chooses white. One chooses black. On your turn, you place a disc on the board. If at any point two of your discs um, place so that the other person's discs are in between, you flip those over to show your color, and you gain at the game ends when all the spaces are full. Whoever has the most of their color on the board wins. 
this would be so simple to show people. It's kind of like an entry into Pente and or Go. Just a basic, really simple version. I remember playing this when I was little. I thought it was very fun, and I think this could be demonstrated to anybody in very, very short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I would even say um, thumbs up first. I have to get that out of the way since I gave you such a hard time with number <laughs> three. Get that out of the way. Full thumb this time. I already no know what he's going to say. <laughs> well, one, I think I did make the proviso about non-classic games, but I will I'll let this one slide a little because you can make an argument for it being not. I mean, I would say it's classic, but I think the the cool thing is that you were saying it's kind of an entry to go. I would think that there's the possibility, especially if you're teaching – uh, someone who's Asian, that, oh. you know, they know Go. They would so, be teaching me. <laughs> so they would be familiar with the kind of some of the concepts of the game before right. you even start. So you're like, they'd be like, oh, it's sort of like Go. So they have some sort of foothold <laughs> right. to sort of grab onto and, and find a commonality to understand the game. So that's definitely a good choice for that reason, too, I would say. Cool. Yep. Mark? Well, take it. Thank you very much. And my final pick. I want to shoot you down so badly. But... You you can't shoot me down this last one <laughs> because this last one is a pirate game. Uh... How can you possibly shoot me down? <laughs> I've picked Cartagena. Hey! <laughs> you like this game. I do, I do. <laughs> I'm just grumbling because I wanted to shoot you down. <laughs> <laughs> this is a pirate-themed race game. Yes, this is the game that's most often referred to as Pirate Candyland. <laughs> Undeservingly so, yes, I would I, say. It is. They share one single mechanic, game mechanic, and that's absolutely where the comparison, con- comparison ends. Yeah, yeah. Simple. It's a simple game. You're trying to reach six of your pirates from the start space to the finish space. Yep. You have cards. When you play a card, you get to move your pirate to the, the space on the board that matches. That's where the comparison yeah. <laughs> is drawn between Candyland. The awesomely cool thing in this game is you have to move backwards to move forwards. But once again, since the game is just play cards with pictures, move pieces to those matching symbols, attempt to get from start to finish, you could demonstrate and teach this game in mere seconds. Yep. Language neutral is Bingo. the is the watchword of the hour yes. for all these games. Yep. You you know, none of the components or any of the games require any knowledge of, of English and nope. and absolutely you, you couldn't pick a better final game yes, for your list. That's You've played those games, so I just kill my hand on the <laughs> table. <laughs> um, yeah, Cartagena is just, it's one of my favorite fun little beer and pretzels. Get it out at the beginning of the night. Get it out at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. It's beer and pretzels, but yet it still has a bit of strategy yeah. to oh, it. That's the yeah. cool part yeah. about it is it's, it does, you, you do have to spend some mental energy, unlike right, exactly. LCR. <laughs> to I'm never going to live this down. No, you're not. <laughs> I have a long memory. <laughs> so so I have to say you did a great job. Yes. Those are all really good ones, and I can see why you had fun. Why it you was... had fun doing that golf clap, <laughs> golf clap. <laughs> so now. Ex- excellent. So I'm, I'm ready for my medicine. Ready sir. for the smackdown? Yep. The new, okay. Oh, yeah. My yeah. new challenge. This is kind of different, something a little different than we've done before because – the type of games that I want Steven to pick are something that we haven't dealt with really on the spiel yet. And this is a a podcast about board games and card games and stuff like that. But this is going to be about role-playing games. All right. (laughs) Which Steven is the king of role-playing games. I can answer some questions on that. This will be good. So what I would like you to do is find five role-playing games for a gaming group who has never role-played. 
including the person that's going to play the GM. <laughs> the theme is not super important. I'll let you go and find some really cool themed games. The only super important thing is that the game should be elegant and simple so that they can learn how to basically immerse themselves into the worlds and the characters without being overwhelmed you know, by this horde of rules, which sometimes can happen in role-playing games. Not that that's bad, yeah. but for <laughs> beginners. Yeah. So That's awesome. That's bam. A, that's really cool. I like that because that, that's, that's something that I think from the outsider's point of view looking in, it is its own little sort of bubble of gaming. Right. And it's really hard to know. It, it, I think the crowd that is into those kind of games tends to be kind of, they speak in their own little language. And from the outside, it just sounds like bleep, blop, bloop, and it doesn't right. make any sense to people outside of that little world. And I think I'm a good person that has kind of a foot in both camps. So, And I'm looking forward to your, to your picks because I'm, yeah. one of those, I'm one of those people who is on the outside looking in. Yeah, and, yeah that'll and be not fun. because they're disliked. It just sometimes you, you just don't, don't know where to, to start, do, you and know? you don't know where to start exactly. So. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm up to that challenge. That'll be that'll actually kind of difficult, but I think it'll be fun. Cool. And it'll give I think our listeners out there a great sort of uh, primer for knowing where to start right. if it's something right. that partially interests them. They'll at least have a, a way. At least my recommendations right. on where to <laughs> where to dig in and and not to be afraid of cool. that kind of game. So cool. Looking forward to be, it. That'll be fun. <laughs> Well, Mark, you have actually survived almost <laughs> an episode. Barely, but you're still breathing. I can see, you know, you have not passed out at the table, unlike perhaps nights prior to this. <laughs> oh, my name uh, is Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Mark will forever be known as Mark Sailor Jerry <laughs> Weaver. <laughs> um, I didn't even learn my lesson last time. No, no, Mark... <laughs> But uh, before we go, I want to mention to those of you listening out there that we have um, two versions of the podcast available now. We have um, an MP3 version for those people listening with uh, non-iPod players. But for those of you who have iPods or are listening through iTunes, we actually have an enhanced version of the spiel. It's been available now for a few episodes, and you may already know this, but in case you don't and you're listening to the spiel, there are two versions an enhanced version, and a regular MP3 version. The notable difference is that with the enhanced version, you'll get chapters, um, and you'll also have uh, pictures that will scroll along on the screen um, on your iTunes or if you have a video or photo iPod um, in, in sync with what we're talking about. So you can actually see what we're talking about. I think this is really cool and really enhances the experience. No pun intended, but um, it <laughs> definitely awesome. um, makes the experience more rich in terms of being able to see what we're talking about. So if you have the ability to do that, I would encourage you to, to download or to subscribe to the, uh, the M4A or the Enhanced Podcast. Plus, you can't, you can't afford to miss some of the fun little crazy <laughs> things that Steven sneaks in occasionally. There's, there's some little fun nugget, <laughs> picture nuggets that uh, I have a good time including in the spiel, so... Um, Mark, thanks so much for uh, yes. hosting our our first remote oh, yeah. our first remote recording session here in uh, Howard, Pennsylvania. We hope to to be back. Yeah. Um, we will probably do maybe another episode here while we're oh, yeah. we're lounging away in <laughs> the hills of central Pennsylvania. Um, but I hope you had a good time. Yes, I did. It was awesome. Yes, thank you, Woo-hoo! thank you. And uh, without further ado, um, I think this will wrap up episode eight. Um, So remember, whether it's the roll of a die or the turn of a card, 
The flip of a tile. You don't have to play to win. You just, just have, have to play. play.